It's good to see you all. That is awesome news, isn't it? That salvation is available to us. And that is the good news that we know the Lord has called all of his people, including us here at First Baptist Church of Oxford, to share with the world. That's one of the reasons we look forward to things like Trunk or Treat. It's one of those opportunities we've talked to the church about in the past. We want to give you chances to share the gospel, to share your testimony. This is one of those opportunities where you don't have to go out and find people. They're going to come right to you. So if you can be here with us on October 31st, we'd encourage you to come. There are going to be a lot of great opportunities to share the gospel. This bag of candy is a good representation of what, if you'd like to donate candy for that, you could donate. I say that in part so that nobody gets their hopes up that this is an illustration or a giveaway I'm going to do while I preach. Let's just put any of those thoughts to rest right here. That's not what this bag of candy is for. Uh, I do also want to let everyone know that our kids, our children and youth programs have launched for Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. We want to let everybody know about that as well. So anyways, the Lord is doing some wonderful things here. We're grateful for it, but we are, of course, most grateful for the good news of the gospel. And my hope is that if anyone here has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that today you would make that decision. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, there is so much for us to thank you for, like the fact that we can freely gather here together this morning, when we know that we have family in Christ all over the world that can't do this, at least not openly. We pray that you would be with them, help them to persevere. We thank you that we can serve you, that you give us the opportunity to share the gospel, and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you most of all that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, all the things that we have done. And we thank you that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but that he rose from the dead. We thank you for all that this means. And I pray that there's anyone here today that doesn't know why this matters, why the resurrection should impact their life. I pray that today they would begin to understand and see that. And that today they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Fathers, we take a look at your word this morning. Help us not to just understand it, but to apply it to our lives so that we would be found living in a way that pleases you. Father, we love you, but as always, we thank you for loving us so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. During our time in the Gospel of John together as a church, we've seen that the disciples of Jesus had their faults, had their failures. They... They misunderstood many times the mission of Jesus. They seemed to never fully grasp what Jesus was saying when he told them he was going to die and then rise from the dead. But despite all these things, they faithfully followed him, with the exception, of course, of that traitor Judas Iscariot. In fact, Matthew's gospel tells us that at one point, the disciples even declared to Jesus that they were willing to die for him. But as many of us know, when Jesus was arrested by his enemies, all his disciples deserted him. On that same night, one of the Lord's most outspoken followers, Peter, denied Jesus three times. As Jesus hung there on the cross dying, John is the only one of the 11 disciples we are told was present there. As we will soon see this morning, after Jesus died, the disciples went into hiding together. At this point... These men were not what we would call brave, nor would we call them the most confident. But not long after all these things, something changed in their hearts. So much so 
that the 11 disciples were willing to suffer and die for Jesus. And this is precisely what they did. Acts chapter 12 tells us that James, the son of Zebedee, was killed with the sword because of his testimony for Jesus. And while Scripture tells us little about the fate of the rest of the disciples for preaching Christ to the world, tradition tells us the following. It tells us that Peter, at the end of his life, was crucified upside down. He was crucified this way because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way as his Lord. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. And he hung there for two days before he died. And during that time, he implored everyone passing by to put their faith in Jesus. Thomas was killed with a spear. Simon the Zealot was put to death, some say by being sawed in half. Nathaniel, or Bartholomew, was either crucified, flayed to death, or tied up in a sack and cast into the ocean. Matthew was killed either by the sword or by being burned at the stake. Judas, son of James, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, this Judas was clubbed to death. James, the son of Alphaeus, was either crucified, beaten, or stoned to death. Philip was crucified or beheaded. John, the son of Zebedee, is the only one of the disciples that tradition tells us died of old age rather than martyrdom. Of course, John himself suffered much persecution for his faith in Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 tells us he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Tradition tells us that at one point John's enemies tossed him into a vat of boiling oil, but he miraculously survived. But what's the point? Why would I share all of these things? It's because we need to ask the question, what changed for these men? How did these 11 men go from fleeing Jesus' side in the garden when the Lord was arrested to then staring in the eyes of their persecutors and standing firm to the death for Jesus years later? What changed? And the answer, friends, is that the tomb was empty. Jesus did die on the cross. He was buried. But three days later, you couldn't find him in the tomb anymore. And because the tomb is empty, these 11 men shook the world with the gospel until their dying day. Everything changed for them. And everything should change for us, believers. Our lives should never be the same because the tomb is empty. And the tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. And as we turn to John chapter 20 this morning, we're going to see some of the ways that this truth should change our lives. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and turn there so we can follow along with each other. John chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, one who Jesus loved, and said, They've taken our Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. 
Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. All right, keep your place right there in John chapter 20. When Mary Magdalene arrived at the tomb early that Sunday morning, she saw that the stone had been moved away, and she was, she was worried. Worried that something had happened. Worried that the body had been moved. Some have tried to claim that Mary, she just went to the wrong tomb. But multiple Gospels report that Mary was present at the tomb when Jesus was buried. That she saw where he was laid. Now she knew where to go. Not only that, but if this had been the wrong tomb, a whole host of people, especially the religious leaders, would love to have corrected her and shown her to the proper tomb. No, this was the tomb where Jesus was buried. Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know to be the disciple John, ran to the tomb. And they find it just what Mary had told them. The stone had been moved out of the way and the Lord was not there. But this couldn't be a case of of robbery or moving the body as others have tried to claim. After all, the strips of linen and the headcloth were all still there. Not only that, but they seemed to be neatly laying there. Now, I'm not positive how grave robberies work, but I imagine that they're not a neat and tidy affair. I imagine that people don't unwrap corpses to move them. On top of all this, Matthew's Gospel tells us that a guard had been placed at the tomb. No, robbery wasn't the answer either. Now, this was something different. But Mary wasn't sure what. Neither was Peter. By the way, Luke chapter 24 tells us that when Peter walked away, he walked away wondering what must have happened. Peter and John didn't understand that the resurrection of Jesus had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Yet in the midst of the confusion, the shock, the questions running through their minds, we find that John saw and believed. Not that the body had been moved, but that Jesus had risen from the dead. That was evident to John because the tomb was empty. And believers, here's the thing, because the tomb is empty, we aren't confused in this life, but rather we are confident. You see, our confusion would only come if Jesus remained in the tomb. Because if Jesus had not risen, then the scriptures were not fulfilled. Scriptures like Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, which says that God will not allow his Holy One to undergo decay. Not only that, if Jesus had not risen, then Jesus lied when he told the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 12 that the only sign they would be given was the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish, so the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If the tomb was not empty that Sunday, then the word of the Lord was unfulfilled. That means that we would be without a Savior. We'd still be stuck in our sins, and we would be confused. We wouldn't know what to do next. But the good news is that the tomb is empty. It's that Jesus is alive. And like John, many of us believe. And that means that we can be confident in this life. Confident of our salvation. Confident that because our Savior lives, we too will live forever with him. Oh, the empty tomb changes a lot of things. And it changes more than this. Let's keep looking together. Verse 11. 
Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Let's pause right here. Oh, Mary, it has rightly been said that love brought her to the tomb. But grief brought her to tears. She didn't understand or believe yet, so she, she wept. So deep was her grief that she seems not to recognize the heavenly origin of these two messengers talking to her. Her tears were so abundant that she couldn't see or understand it was her Savior standing right in front of her. But then in an instant, perhaps quicker than it ever happened in Mary's life before, she went from the deepest grief to the highest joy when she heard Jesus say her name. I think all believers... We'll feel that joy when we first hear Jesus say our name in eternity too. And I love reading how Mary went from sorrow to joy so quickly. I don't know about you, but I don't feel that that range of emotions happens that quickly often in my life. But having a toddler now, I see this happen pretty regularly. Somehow Judah goes from sobbing tears to laughing in mere moments. Sometimes our emotions can be very back and forth, but for Mary, this was understandable. She wept because she was confused, but she rejoiced because now, now she understood. And I love, I love that Jesus, he didn't rebuke her for being slow to understand or for not believing at first at the tomb the way that John did. Praise the Lord for being so so patient with us. And here, Mary Magdalene was the first to see the risen Savior. But this wasn't the time for her, her to hold on tightly to the Savior. And Jesus wasn't going to remain with them forever. He'd be with his followers for a brief number of days, and then he was going to ascend to the Father. But while Mary would not be able to hold on to Jesus forever, she could rejoice forever, now that she knew why the tomb is empty. Believers, we too can rejoice in every circumstance we encounter because the tomb is empty. Don't misunderstand. We will have moments of sorrow, of grief, of weeping in this life. They're a part of life. But these things don't define our lives. Rejoicing defines our lives, believers. The Bible tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. 
We're commanded to rejoice in all circumstances. We are told to count even our trials as pure joy. We are a people who can always rejoice, and there are a lot of reasons for this. But chief among them is that the tomb is empty and our Savior lives. So we know that at all times, we can fall at the feet of our risen Lord. That we can cry out to Him. He hears us. He cares for us. We can trust that no matter what hardship we go through in this life, we go through it with Christ by our side. And that at the end of this life, we're going to be by His side for all eternity. We can rejoice in every day, in every circumstance, knowing that because the tomb is empty, because our Savior lives, we've received this great salvation through Him. Weeping will come in this life. It happens in our lives. But it doesn't define our lives. Joy does. Rejoicing does. And there's so much more. Look at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. All right, I want us to stop right here for a minute. When that evening came on that Sunday, that same day the Lord had risen from the dead, he came to them. Why the Lord waited till evening for his disciples to see him I'm not sure. Maybe it's because that's just when they were finally all together. Maybe it's because that's when their hearts were prepared to see him. Maybe it's because he was giving them the opportunity to believe the report from Mary before they ever saw Jesus. But whatever the reason was, we know that the Lord's timing is always perfect. When Jesus came, the disciples, they were hiding. They were fearful of the Jewish leaders. Those leaders had put Jesus to death. They may have been afraid that they were next. Not only that, they heard that the tomb was empty. They couldn't even imagine what might happen to them. And I am certain they could not have imagined what did happen next. Suddenly, Jesus came and stood among them. In his resurrected body, locked doors couldn't keep him out. And I'm sure that's something they were grateful for. The risen Savior declares peace towards these men. Their troubled hearts could now be at peace. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, those who believe in him are at peace with God. And those who follow Jesus can have peace of heart, even when fear tries to grip them. We live in a world that hates us. Believers, we're surrounded by enemies like the disciples were. But remember what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. He told them, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And he did overcome it. And now was the time for them to take heart. Jesus reminds them of the gift of the Holy Spirit as he breathed on them. And this symbolic reminder of that coming gift would keep the Spirit on the forefront of their minds. It wasn't many days after this they would receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Oh, and that's when the, the gospel mission, it really took off after that. 
You see, in verse 23, Jesus wasn't saying that his disciples had the power to absolve sin. Now, forgiveness of sin belongs to God alone. But followers of Jesus have been called to share the gospel message, proclaiming to people salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's through that message that it is declared to people that their sins have been forgiven when they put their faith in Jesus and that they remain unforgiven if they reject the Lord. Here, the disciples, they were living in fear, but the time for that was over. They have the peace of Christ in their hearts. They would soon have the Spirit of God within them, and they have a mission from Jesus Christ, a mission to share the gospel. The time for hiding behind locked doors was ending. The time to go out into the world with the gospel was coming. This was a time for boldness. And believers, we are not supposed to live in fear in this life. Hidden behind locked doors, scared of what the world is going to do to us, scared of death, scared of tomorrow, scared of whatever the news tells us to be scared of. We have no room for fear like that. We don't cower behind locked doors. Why? Because the tomb is empty, and that fact demands that we take action. All who believe in Jesus Christ have received the Holy Spirit. And all who believe in Jesus Christ have received the same mission to share the gospel. We need to pursue that mission as we walk hand in hand with the Holy Spirit who leads us. Let's not be found now, believers, in this time of desperate need in our world cowering in fear of man, of death, or of anything. We're not supposed to live in fear. We're supposed to live in boldness. Because the tomb is empty. And the world needs to know that. And we get to share it with them. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas was not with the rest of the disciples that first evening when Jesus appeared to them. To all the professing Christians who say that they don't need the fellowship of believers, they don't need to gather together with other Christians, they're not missing out when they skip on those opportunities, Thomas would disagree with them. Wherever he was that first day when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't with the other disciples. So Thomas didn't see the risen Lord. For a whole week, he listened to them talk about the risen Savior. And for a whole week, he simply lived in stubborn doubt. How hopeless his doubting heart must have felt. At least this time, he was finally with the disciples. 
And I can't help but say it again, praise the Lord for his patience with our stubborn hearts. On this day, a week later, Jesus came to them again and he made things very clear to Thomas so that Thomas could stop doubting and start believing. And then Jesus said something, something for us to really, really hear, believers, because this applies to me and you today. He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We haven't seen our risen Savior like the disciples did. We're not blessed as Thomas was to see our risen Lord and his scars. But although we haven't seen our resurrected Lord, we don't live in doubt. We don't live in hopelessness. No, because we have the greatest hope, believers. And believers, our hope, that is our confident assurance, is that Jesus has risen. And our hope is in him. That he alone can forgive us of our sins and save our souls. That he who has the power to rise from the dead has the power to save us from hell. Now, it's only if Jesus were still in the tomb that we would be without hope. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is worthless. We'd still be stuck in our sins, and we would be, of all people, most to be pitied, as Paul said. But our Savior lives. So we don't walk around like those who have no hope. No, we have the greatest hope because the tomb is empty. This is what we have. Look at verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is what we have, believers. We have life in the name of Jesus Christ. But if Jesus had not risen from the dead, we wouldn't have that life. We wouldn't have any hope. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins at the cross, that's true. But it was at his resurrection that he defeated death so that we could receive eternal life through faith in him. As Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, he said, Because I live, you also will live. So believers, it's because of the empty tomb that everything in our lives ought to change. From the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. And we received eternal life. But not only that. Now we can move through life with great confidence because we serve a risen Savior. We can rejoice in every circumstance because of the eternal life that we have received. Because Jesus conquered the grave, we don't need to live in fear of the world or fear of death. No, but we can live in boldness as we look forward to that great hope of our eternal future with Him. You know, everything, everything should be different for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ because He conquered the grave and the tomb is empty. Believers, our takeaway this morning is this. Because the tomb is empty, we should not live like those who have no hope. Because the tomb is empty, we should not live like those who have no hope. Instead, we should live a life changed by Christ. Because ours is the greatest hope. And we need to share that hope with others. We need to step out in boldness and confidence and share the good news of the gospel with everyone that we can. 
As we do that, we can move through life rejoicing together. And I pray that we would be faithful to these things as a church. But if you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you have never given your life to Him, understand that everything in your life can change too if you will give your life to Him, if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ. But understand that if you choose not to do that, you will remain separated from God in your sins. That at the end of this life, you'll be separated forever from God in a place of torment called hell. But understand that God loves you so much that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross for your sins and mine, and was buried. But he did not stay in the grave. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior. And three days later, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead. And he is standing in heaven right now waiting to offer you the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Waiting to change your life. But please understand, don't come to Jesus for an easy life. You heard what I said at the beginning about the disciples. They suffered for Jesus. Many of them died for Jesus. Don't come to Jesus for an easy life. Come to Jesus because he is the only one who can give you eternal life. Let's pray together. If you're here and you have never made that decision to give your life to Jesus, you know that you're separated from God because of your sins. But if you're finally ready to go to him in faith, please understand you can do that right now. No matter where you are, whether you're joining us here on campus, online, whatever the case might be, right now you can go to Jesus Christ in prayer and admit that you know that you're a sinner, but that you know he died on the cross for your sins, and that you believe he did not stay in that grave but rose from the dead. And give him your life. He'll forgive you of all your sins. He'll give you eternal life. And everything will change for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with anyone joining us that still has not made that decision, that today they would give their life to Jesus Christ, that they would stop wandering around in the darkness of sin, and they would come to the only one who can save them. For those of us who have done that, Father, I pray that you would be with us because sometimes we live like those who have no hope. We live in fear. We live silent about our faith as though nothing has changed. Oh, may that not be true of us. No, Father, help us to be a confident people, a rejoicing people, a bold people, looking forward to that great hope of our eternal future with you. Give each of us the opportunity this week to step out in that boldness and confidence and share the gospel with someone. Because the tomb is empty. We have to tell someone that. So, Father, some of us here this morning, we need to ask you for that boldness. I pray that you would lay it heavy on our hearts. Father, we love you. Oh, but you proved 2,000 years ago when you sent your son that you love us more. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and sing our final song, I'd encourage you, believers, first, to pray for that boldness to share the gospel, not to live in fear, to live for our risen Savior. And if you want to come to the front and pray at the altar or pray with me, you're welcome to do that. If you're here and you still haven't given your life to Jesus, but you'd like to talk about that, I'd invite you to come forward as well.